If you turn to John chapter 8, we'll pick up in verse 12. As you are turning there, I would draw your attention to the elements of communion that are here before us today. And we will spend time towards the end of the study um, at the Lord's table. And before we get there, I simply want to remind you once again that communion is the Lord's Supper. It is for his people. It's for his kids as we celebrate what he did on Calvary's cross to redeem us, to buy us back, to pay the price for our sins so that we can be saved and have eternal life. And so if you're here today and maybe that's something you've never experienced before, perhaps you came with a family member or a friend and and you don't know what communion is about, I, I want to share with you just for a moment that you can have a couple of options here because the Lord's Supper is something that's very serious to those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, We believe it represents his broken body, his shed blood, and as we celebrate it, Jesus actually reminded us to do this in remembrance of him. Uh, And so we take this very seriously. And in fact, Scripture goes so far as to say that we're not to partake of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner, for in doing so, some have brought upon themselves both sickness and even some death. And so it is a serious issue to partake at the Lord's table. So if you don't know the Lord today, maybe you've never invited Jesus into your life, here's the good news. You could actually do that before the elements of communion reach you because it requires really of you that you believe by faith that Jesus Christ is God's own son, that he came to this earth, lived a sinless life. He died on Calvary's cross. And in doing so, paying the price for your sin, shedding his own blood in your place, and that when he was raised three days later, He offered eternal life to those who would believe in him by faith, and he will give you faith to believe. So you could invite Jesus into your life right now before those elements get to you and then participate in your first communion service. If you choose not to do that, then I would simply ask you to allow the elements to go past. Um, Please, if you don't know the Lord, if you've not committed your life to him, uh, no shame upon you from us, but do allow them to just simply go by and don't participate in communion unless you know the Lord. As we turn our attention here to John chapter 8, we'll pick up in verse 12. Again, I want to remind you, because we frequently and often will say, remember when you're interpreting Scripture that context is king. It's the top thing that we look at, apart from the words themselves, to try and help us discern what it is that God intended to say to us through His Word, through Scripture. And in this case, the context is very critical. It's extremely important because Jesus has completed this time where he's been at the Feast of Tabernacles. It's now at the end of Tabernacles. It's the last day as we saw this woman who was brought to him, whom the Pharisees said was caught in the act of adultery. This woman has the light shine on her life. And that light, which is life to her, she believes in, and Jesus speaks in her woman, where are your accusers? And he says to her, look, I don't accuse you. Go and sin no more. He sets this woman free. The light has shone in her life. It's the final day of the feast. And so Jesus is in the temple and he's actually going to move almost as if he's following those who have just left that scene. Remember that one by one, as we saw last time, if you were with us in the first 11 verses, those who were the accusers of this woman, one by one, as Jesus writes in the dirt, each of them got up and left. They went somewhere, 
But remember, context is king. So Jesus is still in the temple compound itself. We're going to find now that he moves to the treasury. He's going to actually seemingly follow them as if he's going to continue to speak into their lives the truths of this incredible gospel message that now he continues with his second I am statement. And so if you would join me, we'll pray, and then we'll pick up in verse 12 here in John 8. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus into this world that we who have believed on him would be saved and have everlasting life. And Lord Jesus, we believe that as we prepare our hearts and our minds to receive from the Lord's table from communion, Lord, as we celebrate your broken body and your shed blood, we ask that you would speak to us through the majesty of your word. Would it be alive? Would we know that we are loved by the King? And so, God, we commit these, these moments we have together into your hands. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 12, John chapter 8. And then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, so you can see that he's followed, in essence, these same people that he's previously spoken to. Remember that they are primarily the religious rulers, and that's the group he's now going to really focus in on. Before, he had some pilgrims that were traveling along with them. He had some of those who were living in the city with them, but now he's going to focus in on this group that we would know as the Pharisees, and we'll see that in verse 13. And so Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And now we know that this was the Feast of Tabernacles. And one of the key components of the Feast of Tabernacles were three menorah, two of them giant and in the courtyard, and one of them actually inside of the temple itself. And so at this time, this is after the Babylonian captivity, the temple itself has been uh, rebuilt and then finally absolutely enlarged and made beautiful by Herod the Great. Uh, And there in the holy place, there are two places in which the, the high priest would minister only himself in the Holy of Holies. But in the holy place, you would walk in the right side, there would be the table of showbread. Twelve loaves on that table, each one representing one of the tribes of the children of Israel, directly in front of this giant curtain that separated off the most holy place, or the Holy of Holies, the place where the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be, but at this time it was not because it did not come back from Babylon. And so that Ark of the Covenant had not been inside of the holy place since the children of Israel were taken captivity. Uh, And so here inside of the holy place, uh, you had these three pieces of furniture basically left. So the altar of incense was there in front of the curtain. And then directly adjacent that to the left side as you walked in would have been this giant menorah, much like the one that's on the table of communion in front of you. A seven-branched candelabra. Out in the courtyard, there were two very large menorah, um, probably in excess of 20 to 30 feet tall, also seven-branched. And so those seven-branched lampstands were filled with olive oil, and during the evening hours, on the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, those giant candelabra would be lit so that in the evening, the glow from the temple 
would shine out onto the city of Jerusalem. It is at that point in time that Jesus makes the statement. He says, in effect, it's not these menorah. It's not this seven-branched candelabra that's the light of the world. Though you should know what those candelabra represent, and we'll look at them in a moment. I am the light of the world. He makes another I am statement. He uses that phrase, ego, A-M-E. It comes from the, the wonderful statement made to Moses when he asked, who shall I say sent me? And you just tell them, I am that I am. Tell them that Yahweh, Lord of hosts, sent you. Jesus again saying, I am the light of the world, the light of life. Verse 13, and the Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself and your witness is not true. You see, the letter of the law, much like the letter of the law that they thought they were going to heap on the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, said that she should be stoned. But what they conveniently forgot was that the man also should be stoned and he wasn't there. And the one making the accusation has to cast the first stone. So again, a little selective understanding of the law. You're testifying of yourself. And Jesus answered and said to them in verse 14, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. Because God is how many persons in one? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So anytime Jesus speaks, he's actually speaking as God. And as God, he instantaneously is three people. But he's going to remind them, look, there's actually the qualification is still there. My witness is true. For I know where I came from. Remember, they actually already hassled him on this point. They said, aren't you from Galilee? Isn't your family from Nazareth? Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem, when in fact he actually was born in Bethlehem. He wasn't born in Nazareth. They just assumed that. And so again, I know where I come from and where I am going which were one in the same place, because he came from heaven, he's going back to heaven. Amen? You judge according to the flesh, and I judge no one. Remember, he'd already said that his father had given all judgment, or was given all judgment. And yet, if I do judge, in other words, he said he could, my judgment is true. Notice what he says next. For I am not alone. But I am with the Father who sent me. Again, he's declaring himself to be one with the Father. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. Now notice what he says. I am the one who bears witness of myself. And the Father who sent me bears witness of me. So he's saying, by your legal requirements, they're met. My father also bears witness of me. And then they said to him, Where is your father? And Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. For if you had known me, you would have known the father also. And these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. And so Jesus makes the second of his I am statements. He says, I'm the light of the world. 
It's related to the Feast of Tabernacles, this huge menorah. And basically what he begins to do is unveil this imagery to them. He reminds them of who he is. Now he's already given them some wilderness images. This is yet another one of those images. Remember that he's already declared himself to be the I am the bread of heaven. Amen? He's already said that. He's also already said that he's the living water. And so he's drawing them back. He's getting them to think, what do you know about your Bible? What is it you know about what we would call the Old Testament? What is it you really understand about these things that you worship, these things that you do, these feasts that you undertake, these incredible pictures, if you will, of what happened in the wilderness that your forefathers told you about? And so he says, as you look back, I was the manna that came down from heaven. I was that sweet water that was caused to be sweet, that was originally bitter, into which a tree was thrown across. All of a sudden, if you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. And so he adds to it a third picture from the wilderness. And so he says to them, you remember when your forefathers worshipped God in the wilderness? Do you remember what it was that led them by night? Do you know what that menorah actually stands for? Do you know what it is that we're celebrating here at the Feast of Tabernacles? Do you know why there are seven branches on the candlestick? He's causing them to think, what was it that we were celebrating? He says to them, look, I'm validating the fact that there are two witnesses, for I and my father are one, and we both testify that I'm who I say I am. I am. I'm the uncaused cause of everything else. You can almost imagine him maybe even pointing up towards the menorah that's lit as the priest would come out at the end of the day before the sun sets and they would light it so that it's burning brightly as soon as the sun went down. And Jesus is saying, you know these feasts that you've been celebrating? They speak of me. I am the light of the world. Jesus is the great light. Jesus is actually what that menorah represents. And he could have gone candle by candle. We find no record of him doing it, but he's giving them at least a picture of this. And remember how John's gospel starts. You see John the Baptist coming to the river. What does he say? He talks about the first candle on the menorah. Behold, the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, the first candle is the Passover candle. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he could have just gone right down the menorah. Just remember when you left and you had no bread? And my father provided bread for you in the wilderness? It was unleavened bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, the second candle. He's going to remind them very shortly when we get to chapter 11 that he is the I am of the resurrection and the life, the third candle. 
the Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost. By the time you get to the fourth candle, he just goes on and on. He just names them one after another. I am the one who's going to bring to you the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I am the one who one day will return. The one that you're still looking for, I'm already here. I'm coming back again. I am the light that you're worshiping right now from that menorah. I am the light. Every single thing that that menorah points to, it points to me. But the Day of Atonement, that sixth candle, that incredible day when the high priest would enter in and finally make that sacrifice for himself and his family and for the children of Israel. But you see, Jesus was there during that time celebrating that one last candle. The middle candle. The one that's before you today. You see, Jesus was reminding them of who he was. And as he looked at that giant menorah, and as he says, I am the light of the world. He was saying to them, look, I'm the road map. You can follow me. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. The promise of the prophet Isaiah is fulfilled in me. He's saying to him, look, all of this stuff that's going on right now, everything that you're celebrating was to tell you about who I am. And I am that middle candle. The one that set you free from bondage. The one that brought you out of the wilderness. The one that fed you when you were hungry. The one that gave you drink when you were thirsty. The one that empowered you when you were powerless. I am Him. Amen? You see, He was not speaking in a vacuum. It wasn't some weird thing to where He just stood up and made some arbitrary statement. He's going, the reason you are here, whether you know it or not, It's because I am is in front of you and I am is trying to get your attention. Never thought about how much Jesus actually revealed to mankind while he was here? Lighting that, I don't know whether they were actually lighting the very center candle when he did it. It wouldn't have surprised me one bit if we get to heaven. He says, oh yeah, they were lighting the final wick when I said those words. You can almost see up on the ladder, they had these golden gilded ladders that went up on the menorah and the priest would light the center one last. You see, he was guiding them. He was talking. He said, look, this world is dark. It's, it's a difficult place. But if you believe in me, the very thing that Isaiah chapter 9, before, before it talks about in verse 6, this son who was given... This child who was born, the one we know as Jesus, the one the Jewish people believe was Messiah who was coming, that one, it says, a people who walk in darkness will see a great light, and those who live in a dark land, a, a light will shine on them. You see, that same Messiah that they were looking for, Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. 
No wonder they picked up stones. You? You're a Messiah? Are you kidding? You're from Nazareth. These guys you travel with, they don't even own a robe. This doesn't look like church to us. Be careful. We can fall into the same rut that the Jewish people fell into. We can start thinking that because we go to church, because we've memorized Bible verses, because we come from a Christian family, because we live in a predominantly Christian nation, because we can speak Christianese, that we're redeemed. If you're here today and you are a believer in Christ Jesus, then the reason that you're redeemed is Christ's own life was sacrificed for you. He died in your place on Calvary's cross and He shed His blood so you wouldn't have to have yours shed. You're not saved from Bible memorization. You're saved because the light of the world is shown in your life and you have believed by faith in the only Son of God. It's not religion at all. It's relationship. You've believed in that last candle. The one who leads us in all righteousness. The one who loves you with an undying love. The one who has done all that need be done so that you can have eternal life. That's why we, we are saved by grace and through faith. We're not saved by religious works. Hallelujah. Because if it's got to be done right, we are really in trouble. I'm going to have the communion team begin to hand out the elements of communion. And I want to just simply ask you to please hold both elements. You'll receive first the bread and then the cup. And we'll partake together. But as they're bringing forth the elements and as the menorah is lit, think about that last candle. As Jesus is saying, I'm the one that's going to light your path. I'm the one that's going to guide your life. He that believes in me, he's saying, won't remain in darkness. Anybody in here glad that you're no longer walking in darkness? Amen? I am. I walked in darkness. I stubbed every toe I've owned a hundred times. The crazy thing is, most of us didn't actually know initially that we were walking in darkness until the light went on. You know, here's the amazing thing about light. As the communion team comes forward and begins to pass out the elements, the amazing thing about the light is that no matter how much light there is, any light dispels darkness. Amen? If you've ever flown out of maybe LAX or any other airport that flies out over the ocean, when you fly out over the ocean, you leave the city lights behind, you're kind of looking down at the windows, and you look there at the edge of the city, you leave the coast, and then you get out a ways, and there are some of the oil rigs or maybe the tankers, but as you get out in the middle of the ocean... It is amazing how many times 
You'll be flying and all of a sudden there'll be one tiny ship out in the middle of that ocean. And there it is, the one light. And no matter how dark that ocean is, that one light can be seen. That's that light that went on in your life. That's that light that's gone on in my life. That is the light. It represents exactly who Jesus is to us. When the light goes on, you can see it. And he says, I am that light. And I want to shine in your life. You see, unfortunately, not everyone has yielded and seen that light. And people want to make up their own way of getting to God. But the only protection that we have from the darkness is the light. The only way we get home is the light. The only name under heaven whereby men may be saved is the light. There isn't another way. And so Jesus says, I am that way. Have you seen me? Do you recognize who I am? Have you understood that incredible truth? You see, you're receiving now the bread. And it represents the one, the only Son of God. Who falsely accused in Pilate's courtyard said, I'm not going to answer in my own defense. I'll take the beating for Jeff. I'll wear his thorns. I'll allow that spear to be thrust into my side. I'll take the nails in my hands and my feet so Jeff doesn't have to. He says, there's a reason that the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church at Philippi, says, one day, every knee, every knee is going to bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The only question is, will you do it now, or will you do it later? Because if you wait till later, it's too late. That's why we do it now. I've seen the light. The light went on in my life. Christ shed his blood for me. That confession that the Apostle Paul echoes there in in Philippians 2, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the I Am. To the glory of God the Father. That testimony, that witness. It's why it's imperative, just as Romans 10 shares with us, He who believes, if we confess with our mouth, believe in our heart that God raised His Son, Jesus, from the dead, we will be saved. There's no if in that promise. It's just, have you seen the light? Have you believed in the light? Have you been convicted by the light? Or have you, like the Pharisees, maybe responded, no, I don't, I don't like that way. There is no other way. There is no other name. I think, like no one else, this whole concept 
I, I can't think of a better example in all of Scripture than the Apostle Paul himself as far as the light going on in somebody's life. In Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is on his way. He's on the road to Damascus to go see if he can hunt down some Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem where they can stand trial and hopefully put them to death. And the light goes on. There he's wandering that road. And as he's traveling, he happens, he's approaching Damascus. And a light from heaven shines on him. And eventually he will say, Lord, is it you? Who are you, Lord? And Jesus actually answers him. He says, it's me, Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The light went on. Praise God for most of us in this room, I believe. The light's not only gone on, we're we're now walking in that light. We're, We're walking in that cleansed state. We're resting and trusting that Jesus paid the price for my sin so that I don't have to worry about it when I get to heaven. That one day when I step out of this time and into eternity, I'm going to hear, well done. Enter in to my kingdom of rest. I believe that Christ paid that price for me personally. And he did that with his own blood. Jesus didn't, you know, just write a check. He paid my whole debt. He paid my debt in the past. He's paying my debt today. And he's paying all of my future debt. And he did so with the blood of the covenant. The very thing that that cup represents. He he paid a price I couldn't pay. I could never pay my own price. I even tried it. I'd probably just get so lifted up and prideful that I finally got to pay my price that I wouldn't pay my price. What can wash away all my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You see, the light went on as we believed. We we say yes to what Jesus did. We're saying yes to that menorah. Saying, yes, you are my lamb. You're the one that was sacrificed in my place. Yes, you're the bread of life. Yes, you're the only reason that the Holy Spirit now dwells in me. You're the one who's atoned. You're saying yes to all of what the light has done for you. And to prove it, Jesus offered up his own life as a ransom. So there be no worrying about it later. You see, when you look in that communion cup, hopefully you're seeing the light of Jesus. You're not seeing grape juice. You're not seeing just an ordinance of the church. You're not seeing a representation, though it is that. You're seeing what Jesus has done for you. What he's done for me. You see, when we celebrate communion, we celebrate the light 
that's come into the world that's dispelling the darkness in our lives. That's dealt with my sin and yours. That's cleansed me and washed me and made me imagine. You're now white as snow before a holy God. The chastisement that was for our peace was placed upon him. What I couldn't do for myself, Jesus did for me. It's mind-boggling. As you hold the cracker in your hands that's a representation of Jesus, it's really a matzah. This was unleavened bread to the Hebrews. And it has some characteristics as we think on the bread that are unique and wonderful and very meaningful. You see the stains of your broken life are on this matzah. You notice the little burnt parts there. That's the stain of your sin. Notice that these aren't uniform. They were actually broken. That's because his body was broken for you. You'll notice that it's pierced through because he was pierced for you. Even the matzah speaks of Jesus. And Jesus, when he took the bread and he broke it, he said to his disciples, take and eat for this is my body broken for you. Let's partake together. It was after supper when Jesus took the cup. You see, the bread was very meaningful. Just like Jesus has already said, I am the bread of life. The bread is very meaningful. But he took the cup, which would have been the cup of celebration, the cup of praise, the cup after supper, part of the Passover Seder, The cup that declares, basically, it is finished. And he took the cup. And when he himself had supped from it, drank from it, when he did first what needs to be done for us, you see, he had to drink from that cup first in order for the cup to be meaningful for us. When he drank from it, he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, shed for the remission of sin as often as you drink from it do so in remembrance of me let's drink together would you stand with me let's pray and we'll close in worship heavenly father we thank you for the broken body and the shed blood of your son Jesus.
whose body was broken for me, Lord, and whose blood was shed for me personally. That Jesus, you would do that for me, I can't even imagine. Lord, thank you for shining light into our lives, lighting our paths that we can see. Thank you for illuminating that salvation that is so rich and so free. Lord, that that grace that you've given us, you did so by faith, not by works. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice in our place. Those words seem inadequate, and we admit it. But we say thank you. Thank you for dying in our place. Thank you for forgiving our sin. Thank you for cleansing us from all unrighteousness. We do remember you, Lord. We remember what you did, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name, amen.